You're listening to In Conversation, the podcast from Creative Coverage, with me, Tim Saunders. Today, I'm with Liz Chatterton, a successful watercolourist who also writes about the subject. What is it about watercolours that inspire you, Liz? It's just the spontaneous immediacy of the medium and what I mean by that is that it's always a surprise you might think you're in control of it but you're not and just when you think you've got the hang of it it sort of slaps you around the face and and puts you back in your place and then just when you're getting fed up suddenly something wonderful happens and appears and as you get to know watercolour obviously hopefully more of the wonderful happens and less of the nasty but you're always learning and because it's all about the water and the way the water flows there's just a spontaneity to it that I haven't found with any other medium. Are you able to explain your process? Yes I think I am. (laughs) Um, Well (laughs) The subject I love and I paint most of the time is is the natural world, animals and birds. My process always starts with an observation. It's something that I've seen because I don't see many tigers in rural Berkshire where I live. That's not my subject matter. But I might just notice the cat and I might just notice the patterns of the whiskers against the light coming in the window. And that will just prompt a thought process that will take me somewhere. So it starts with with an observation and, and that just sudden moment of seeing something for the first time again. And from there, I mean, I might work from sketches, I might work from photos because, you know, if I paint animals, they're not going to sit still for me. And I'll try and work up a composition that captures that moment that I've just seen. So what I want to do is help people see things in a fresh light. So I try and just have a slight emphasis on, on that thing that made me go, aha, And from there, I will think about my colours because colour is so emotional and I'll try and bring in that. And then in terms of actually working, I work in a very spontaneous way, letting the water work for me. So rather than working in layers and meticulous detail that some watercolourists do, and that's wonderful, I'm not saying there's a right or a wrong way, but for me, I'll I'll work on the sort of the first layer and the first wash and that'll probably be 85% of of the work and then I'll stop make sure my eyes are fresh look again and then develop it a little bit further and then possibly at the end put in two or three little percentages of detail which might in in that example be the cat's whiskers or oh I don't know a little flick of a furry ear or whatever it is so I try and leave a lot of ambiguity in my paintings and that's not just me being plain lazy that's that I want to pull the viewer in so that they are imagining what's going on and filling in the gaps and becoming involved with the image and the picture and the painting so that they can experience the feeling that I had when I noticed, uh, say, the cat's whiskers against a backlit sunny window or the chicken's fluffy bloomers or whatever it is. So that's kind of how I work. And then hopefully I get to the end and think, yeah, I've caught that and I stop because with watercolour, it's very easy to go too far 
and one extra brush stroke can ruin a painting. I was about to ask you about that because (laughs) when do you know when to stop? I know when to stop when I've achieved what I want to achieve so I really try and think what is it I'm trying to capture here, what is it I'm trying to communicate here and if you have that firmly in your head at the beginning you know when you've got there. You know if it was that I'd noticed the beauty of, I'll use my poor cat again here, the cat eyes if you've ever stared into a cat's eyes it's like the whole universe is in that eye the flux of color and the all the reflections and oh it's just gorgeous so if that's what I'm trying to communicate and show and really get across then I know when I've finished if I've done that Whereas if you sort of start a painting slightly aimlessly, it can be very hard to know whether you've finished or not. But I always try and stop too early because you can add to your heart's content. But with watercolour, it can be very unforgiving in terms of taking away. So far, far better to pop it to one side and look at it in two days time and think, oh, I should have done. And, and then you can add it rather than in two days time thinking, oh, I shouldn't have done that because at that point it just has to go in the bin. Do you find yourself returning to a painting quite often? No, <laughs> no, it's quite rare for me because my head's fairly full of ideas so I tend to sort of move forward a lot of the time just occasionally I'll pick something up I mean even a year later and think oh that's really annoying I now know why it's annoying me and I'll do something else to it and save it equally well sometimes I'll pick something up and think that that at the time I thought oh I yeah yeah I'm finished I like that and then just look at it and think oh that's rubbish and rip it up and put it in the bin so it's quite rare that I do that I tend to kind of know where I want to go and get there and then stop. With watercolours are you purely working on paper? No (laughs) Um, so traditionally watercolour is always on paper but there are new products well new-ish products around called watercolour grounds And you can apply these to pretty much any surface and it makes them slightly absorbent so that you can use watercolours on wood, on canvas, on glass, on whatever. It is different from paper and, and that's a terrible shock to some people because the manufacturers kind of say oh it turns it into the same surface as a beautiful handmade watercolour paper it doesn't it's a different surface but it's watercolour still has its lovely transparency and its flow and its mingles and merges so I do quite a lot of work on canvas because I love the fact that I don't have to hide my pictures away behind glass you can seal them with varnishes or wax and you don't need the traditional mountain glass which I love and also it lets me paint really big because again traditionally you're a bit sort of restricted by the size of a sheet of watercolour paper whereas suddenly if I want to do a metre by metre painting of my poor cat that keeps getting mentioned then I can I personally we better better mention their name Piper Piper the cat poor thing I wouldn't want a metre by metre picture of Piper I have to say but um, (laughs) but should I then I could I'm only sort of restricted by the length of my arms because with watercolour you have to work relatively flat because 
water flows downhill and if I put a canvas on an easel then it would be very drippy which might be what I wanted but might not so uh, working on new surfaces you can work far larger and uh, say just sort of restrained by the length of your arms. Is there a particular manufacturer that you work with? No I don't have favourite brands I don't know I should say this I'm a bit of a tart Um, (laughs) in terms of in terms of paints and colours I have particular favourites so I love gamboge from Rembrandt that is my favourite gamboge but in terms of I don't know French ultramarine I'll use whichever's on special offer in terms of watercolour grounds and those preparations I actually have sort of my own homemade recipe that I mix up because I use so much of it I'm I wouldn't like to say tight but I'm careful with my pennies so I save a lot of money by making my own watercolour ground rather than using I don't know Daniel Smith's or Quar or or those sorts of brands so yes I choose hopefully the best product for the job I want it to do and if that comes from the cheap and cheerful pound land that's fine but if it is the most expensive on the market and that's what I want then that's fine as well. Well that's a very shrewd way of carrying on. (laughs) With regards to variation in the colours from differing Mm. manufacturers does does that ever pose a problem for you? Oh totally yes yes I say I've ended up sort of knowing for a particular colour only that manufacturer will do. I mean, some are very generic. So as a French ultramarine, I'm pretty happy with whosever it is. But, oh, if you want, I say, gamboge, I will only use Rembrandt's gamboge because that's the colour I love. And it's great fun to discover new colours or discover that they behave in a certain way. So, if you're wanting something that granulates beautifully, that's when the watercolour sort of almost clumps on the paper. It's almost like it curdles on the paper. Then you know that certain colours will do that. And you know that certain manufacturers, say like Daniel Smith, actively promote their granulating colours. So that's where I would head. But it can be great fun to find colours in other people's ranges that behave in a similar way or to make your own mixes so that you're really in control of how the paint behaves and what properties it has, rather than buying a pre-mix, say from Daniel Smith, because so many of their paints are sort of pre-mixed. It's good to look at the tube, work out what pigments they've used, and then see if you can approximate it from, from your own collection of paints. So I do like the sort of chemistry side of it, but I just haven't gone down the path of actually grinding my own pigments and making my own concoctions. What about canvases? Do you have a particular size or brand that you prefer? No, again, canvases, I mean, size, size has to be appropriate to what you're trying to communicate. So just going back to that again, if I wanted to paint a humble house sparrow, you know, this this little brown bird that we totally overlook and take for granted, and yet numbers have totally plummeted. Now, if I wanted to paint that to say 
we must pay attention to this. I might want to paint it on a metre by metre canvas to say this is important. Or I might want to paint it tiny and miniature to say this is important and we must care for it. And the same painting on a different scale will actually say something totally different. So I, I work in all different sizes. I like painting big. You know, at the moment, something like sort of 80 by 80, 90 by 90 is a particular favourite. But that isn't to say that next week I might suddenly have the yen to paint something miniature. In terms of brands of canvas, again, I mean, a handmade canvas is a joy to work on. Uh, if I'm doing a commission and they want a specific size and I need to make the, have the canvas made, Oh, you can tell the difference. It's just beautiful, the tautness of it and just the finish. And it's lovely. But <laughs> equally well, back in the real world, sometimes, you know, you see a special offer on canvas and it's too good a deal to to um, <laughs> to avoid. So uh, we've got a, a loft room in the house, which is absolutely crammed with canvases because <laughs> sometimes you see, oh, buy a carton of canvases and you think, wow, that's good. And suddenly 20 metre by metre canvases turn up and I try and sneak them into the house <laughs> when no one's looking. But they're quite a large thing to sneak in. So I shove them up in the loft room and hope no one goes in there. What about brushes? I tend to use synthetic brushes. Uh, for two reasons. One is the environmental animal welfare side of things. You know, Kalinsky sable brushes are beautiful to use as a watercolourist, but they are made from the tail of some sort of Russian rodent. And there's a lot of cruelty involved in that. And that's not what I want to be part of. So I, I use synthetic brushes on the whole and they have improved amazingly over the last sort of 20 years. And also, if you're working on watercolour ground on canvas, so say, which I do a lot, that canvas surface is very rough on your brushes. So you would want to use a really resilient synthetic rather than a very soft natural hairbrush. So there's a couple of reasons. So I tend to use synthetics. But again, I wouldn't say, oh, this brand is the best. You're, you're looking for certain properties from a brush. You know, it comes to a good point. It's got a really good volume of water. It'll hold. It releases that water in a really nice controlled way. Well, you can find that in, in different places. There isn't a magic brush that will make you a good painter. It's the fact that you paint for, you know, eight hours a day for for however many days in a row that will mean that you, you master a technique. I think people can get very sort of caught up in terms of, oh, I must have the best brush and I must have the best paint and I must have the the whatever. But in the end, you can have the best brush. And if it's still in the case, it won't have made you a better painter. The only thing I would say that that is not true of is the surface. So the best artist in the world with the best materials painting on a poor paper surface is going to struggle. The paper and watercolour, gosh, makes such a massive difference. So I would always encourage people to, to get the best quality they can. 
And I think a decent artist can use paints from Poundland on a decent piece of paper and still produce a good a good outcome. If anything, I always encourage people to spend their money on the paper rather than the paints and the brushes. Very good advice. Shall we explore the animal welfare in a bit more detail? Not only are you painting animals, but you have their welfare at heart. I do think a lot of artists think about the environment and you know what what's involved in making their materials because you you've got everything from you know toxic chemicals in your pigments i mean if you think about heavy metals cadmiums and um, cobalts and things like that so you you do have an environmental impact even with watercolor which is low a very low environmental impact say compared to the solvents that you might have in in oil paints and so forth but i i do think people consider what they're using and I mean, oh, gosh, paper wise in, in the olden days and in certain papers now, the sizing on the paper is made with gelatin, which is an animal product. And people should just be aware of that so that you're making an active choice. I'm, I'm not vegetarian. I used to be vegetarian, but I'm not at the moment. I just think it's something that you do need to make responsible decisions about. And it would seem to me fairly hypocritical that I'm saying to people through my work, you know, look at these animals with fresh eyes, consider their their amazingness and the beauty of the world around us. And I'm using something that doesn't support that. You might be a little hypocritical, but I'm not saying I'm perfect either because I do use cadmium colours and I do use cobalts, but I do it knowingly so that I've actually considered and I've considered that actually the journey from my house to the art shop is more damaging to the environment than the amount of cadmium that I might be releasing by washing my brush and putting the water down into the drains. But at least I've had a thought about that. I say I think an awful, well, from my my reading of lots of forums and things like that, you know, a, a lot of artists are thinking about it or, or single use plastic. You know, a lot of watercolourists use things like cling film to make textural effects in their work. They crumple it up and you get lovely geometric patterns. Should we be using single use plastic? Should we be looking for some sort of alternative you know there there are all these things it's all about the little decisions that you make in your life can add up to hopefully a larger change and I, I say I think a lot of artists are looking like with oil painters they're looking at water mixable oil paints rather than ones that need some of those really harsh solvents you know, I th- I'm not sure that acrylic painters, well, I shouldn't say that because I could be shot down in flames. I don't know how much acrylic painters think about the the plastic side of what they're doing, because in the end, acrylic is liquid plastic. Which isn't something you typically think about. No, I, d- I don't use acrylic, so I'm not going to say one way or the other, because maybe, as I say, make maybe someone listening to this will will be shouting at the, at this point saying rubbish of course I think about it and I do this this and this to mitigate the effects of my work on the environment and I know about microplastics and and whatever I I, I don't know because that's not my world but, but, but this is very important because you are highlighting 
things that you know some of us might not have considered that's very important in itself i just think it's something that you should be aware of and if you take a decision it should be done knowingly rather than in ignorance so as i say you know if i want to use cadmium red in a particular painting i will but i am aware of the consequences of doing that now some artists would come to a different decision they would be aware and they would say no i'm i'm stripping that out of my color palette and in fact i i do know of one artist who literally went through her color box and she put to one side anything with heavy metals or environmental warnings she couldn't bring herself to throw them away because that was a waste and she very kindly offered them to other artists and ended up sending little packages of poisonous paints around the country (laughs) but she made the decision because I think where she lived uh, she was actually on a sort of well water so she was the drainage and the treatment of her water or maybe I guess it was a septic tank or, or whatever and she didn't want to be putting paints into that and that was a, a good decision for her. There is an awful lot more to painting than at first meets the eye. Well there is because I mean there, there are, I mean there's so many different aspects because one of the things particularly I think with, with watercolour is understanding how your materials work and interact and what they will do with you because then you know what their potential is. But equally well, you've got the emotional and concept side of things. And equally well, with watercolour, you've got an awful lot of planning and sort of cerebral work because watercolour can be unforgiving. The actual order in which you work and the way in which you work is important. So with watercolour, classically, the white of your paper is the white in your palette. We don't have, you know, white that we can sort of slap on at the end and go, ta-da, highlights. So you actually need to to plan and think it through. So you've got all sorts going on from sort of chemical knowledge to, I say, that planning and that quite sort of cerebral activity through to the art, what you would classically think of as artistic, the the concept and the emotion and the communication side of things, which is why I love it, of course. Can you tell me about your daily routine? How long are you in that studio for? <laughs> really varies. Gosh, I wish it was a lot longer. And one of my uh, New Year's resolutions is to really prioritise painting because in the end, I run an art business. Uh, that's how I see it. And I teach and I write about painting. I've written books and I do videos for YouTube and I do a lot of that sort of art teaching. And equally, well, I need to sell paintings so that I can you know, buy food and nice things like that. So a lot of my time will have to be spent on businessy type things. And it's very easy for the painting to actually get squished out if you're not careful. So it varies totally. I mean, this last week, I have actually been making sketchbooks in the hope of spring to come and the hope of COVID to be gone so that I can get out and be doing a lot more sort of urban sketching and plein air sketching. So I have been making loads and loads of different sketchbooks and I have been filming that so I can put it on my YouTube channel. So I've been trying to sort of you know, kill two birds with one stone, which is a very unfortunate 
friends, given that we've just been talking about animal welfare. But on good paint days, I shall be out in my studio, which is a, a posh shed at the bottom of the garden, as soon as uh, my son's off to school uh, and I'll sort of head out there and paint all day and then suddenly realise it's gone dark and I better head back in. So um, and then I might nip out in the evening as well, just to check that everything's doing what it should be doing varies totally and again one of the things I love about being a full-time artist is that no two days are the same. Would you say that you are more productive during term time? My youngest son is 18 and my eldest is off at uni so so when they were little uh, yes but now now they're big boys (laughs) it it, actually has been harder during Covid because everyone's been at home and I am lucky in that I have a space away from the house that I can disappear to and, and shut the door. Uh, it It is harder when people are around because, again, with watercolour, if someone interrupts you in the middle of a, a drying wash that you're trying to do something with, if you don't catch that 10 second slot, you've lost it. So when when the kids were small, there would be phrases like, Yes, mummy will get you a biscuit, but you'll have to wait till her wash has dried. Um, luckily, I bet that went down well. Uh, tough. They had to learn, you know. Yes. <laughs> I, I didn't starve them, you know. One, my eldest son is six foot seven. He he wasn't stunted. It's fine. Um, but you know, it's it is tricky to balance up the demands of of life against what you want to do because occasionally I would happily spend 24 hours painting if I could but then you know people would start to to comment and mutter about sustenance. Before I became a full-time artist I used to to write I was a freelance writer but nothing overly exciting you know I would write web content or customer newsletters or whatever that's what I did so um, it's been a great joy to be able to combine writing and painting so and the teaching which I really love I have written three books so far well the third one is being published on the 24th of January and they are practical art books with Crowwood Press as a publisher and the first one I did was painting watercolours on canvas because I realised there wasn't much information out there and people were sort of interested but a bit scared so I did that first and then I did painting animals in watercolour which again might be no surprise after this conversation and and the one that's coming out this month is line and wash painting so it's all about combining pen and line work ink work with with either washes of ink or washes of watercolor and it's not just about animals which might be a surprise to some that people is a surprise <laughs> I know, there's some urban sketching in there there are portraits there are possibly a couple of animals there are florals there are but it's all about the, the underlying theme of for me is always about seeing the world with fresh eyes and how you communicate your joy of the world and what a wonderful world it is how do you communicate that and using line and wash in this case to to capture what you see around you so uh yeah that's that's out which is going to be very exciting 
it's always quite nerve wracking when a book is published because you wonder if you've said something utterly stupid and put it in print. Can you just explain a little bit more about line and wash? Are we talking about pen? Yes, basically. Uh, so line and wash is is the combination of the best of ink and pen work with the best of watercolour. So you can think of the the line almost as the the scaffolding of the, the the subject and then you've got either washes of watercolour or, or diluted ink that you can drape on, on top of that um, scaffolding. You can of course do it entirely the other way round of doing washes first and then gaining sort of detail and structure with you, with the ink work. So it's using on the whole it is pen work, it might be dip pens, it might be technical pens, it might be fountain pens, whatever. Equally well, you can paint with, with ink and and actually use brushwork as, as your line if you want. And it's yeah, about combining the best of both mediums so that you don't end up with a you know a beautiful drawing that you colour in or a beautiful painting that you outline. I think both of those possibly miss a trick that you're really looking for two plus two equals five in this case, so that you take the best of the the line work and the best of the washes and you combine those to make something more than the, the sum of the parts. That's what I hope I'm communicating in my book. Is it fair to say that your love of animals is the thing that you focus on most? Oh, absolutely. Yes, it is. I just love painting animals. Nothing makes me happier than walking around and spotting a nice herd of cows and, and you know, they come up, up to you over the hedge and sort of their noses are just gorgeous. And you think, oh, that's what I want to paint. Look at that nose. It's lovely. So, yes, that's what gets me excited. But I also love urban sketching. Totally. Again, because... I don't know, you're in the urban environment and you look up above the shop, you're at some some grotty shop and you look up and suddenly there you see above it the most beautiful Victorian window and brickwork that if you're just sort of staring at feet and shuffling around, you don't see. So there are many things that make me happy. You know, in terms of painting animals and birds, I find endlessly fascinating but I do like to mix it up. I hope I am not, another good phrase here, a one-trick pony. How would you say COVID has affected you in terms of your work? Yeah, gosh, it's so hard to even remember, isn't it, what it was like before. I have to say, you know, the first month of COVID was just hideous because all the galleries shut and all my workshops were cancelled And I sat on the sofa and, you know, I watched Mallory Towers on telly. Mallory Towers, Enid Blyton, aimed at about 11 year olds. And it was it was like warm duvet TV. I you know, the worst thing that happened was that someone lost their tuck shop money and all around me life was going to hell in a handcart. Those first couple of weeks of like, oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm. living in a disaster movie i regret every one i've ever watched because i know what's going to happen and then i did give myself a stiff talking to and said we don't know what's going to happen so try and control the bits that you can and don't worry about the things that are sort of outside of control 
So I discovered the joys. It sounds stupid, really. It's I discovered the joys of social media at that point because I really been very, very sniffy about social media to, to that point. You know, it's fine for keeping touch with mates who live overseas, but whatever. And then it was like, well, no, actually, we can reach out and, and I could use it to to sell my art and to communicate and to teach and, and all these things. So I really tried to embrace that. And I discovered you know, YouTube and I discovered Zoom like all of us. I'd never heard of Zoom before, for goodness sakes. I'd heard of Skype just about. But, you know, and, and then suddenly, right, right I, I can do this. And I did things, you know, if you remember that first lockdown, the weather was gorgeous. I'd never seen so many people walking past our house in in my life because I live on, it's a country road, but it's a busy country road. So I started putting paintings in the front garden just on an easel to give people something to look at when they were walking past. And I thought everyone's going to think I'm really stupid. But hey, this is making me feel better because there's something about being an artist that you want to share your work. You want people to see it. So I stuck, you know, every day I put a different painting in the garden and then someone said, oh, can I buy that? I was like, oh, really? <laughs> if you must and then I kept doing it and sold others and, and then I'm like okay this is just going to be a different way of working and so I got into teaching online and I in the end I decided just to keep myself ridiculously busy through lockdowns and Covid to stop me because I am a bit of a worrier on occasions and to stop me worrying about all the things I couldn't control I thought it was better that I was stressed about the fact that I'd committed to doing too much and I wrote my book finished the one that's coming out and I have actually written another one that is coming out in July okay. uh, so I did loads of painting and loads of writing and loads of teaching and and things like you know sticking paintings in the, the front garden our art trail I'm live near Henley and love the Henley Art Trail, which we do every every year. That was cancelled. So I did a not the Henley Art Trail on my front garden and, and put, I don't know, 20, 30 paintings out that day. Uh, luckily, it wasn't too windy. Just tried to think round how things were. And actually, it has been a joy because I've connected with people in so many different countries, other artists and students, or I've I've done sessions myself, you know, workshops with artists who I could never get to to be with in real life because they live far too far away. But you know, the joys of of um, the internet, we've managed to do that. So there have been positives. I'd much prefer it hadn't happened, or hadn't, I'm saying past tense, it's still happening. I'd much prefer it wasn't happening, but I've, I have tried to make the most of it. But you have turned a negative into a positive. Oh, I have. It's very inspirational to hear. <laughs> I'm no, sure I mean, that makes me sound like Pollyanna, doesn't it? You know, but uh, it, it's, I've, I've tried to because what was the alternative? The alternative was watching more Mallory Towers whilst eating large bars of chocolate huddled under a duvet feeling sorry for myself and you know touch wood we've all been healthy and and that that's good 
and I recognise how lucky I am in that I do live in in a village where I know lots of people. And we've got a garden that we can get outside, and we haven't had to go to a food bank. And yeah, I recognise that we have been amazingly lucky, and many, many, many people haven't been. And I think the more important thing is how how do we come out of this and what happens when we return to some semblance of normality and what is that normal? You know, those are the, the big questions we should be thinking about because I just look round and think the you know, there have been people, fortunate people like me, that have done okay, have done very well almost. And then there have been a huge tranche of people who haven't. And it's how we all come back together again. Um, and that sort of split and, and division doesn't become entrenched. Uh, at the beginning of 2021, I'm quite an objective driven person. I, you know, like with writing, give me a deadline. I may well be doing it sort of two minutes before the deadline, but I always meet it. You know, So I set myself the objective in 2021 of doing a YouTube film every week. So these are practical art, watercolour art tips. And I thought, oh, that'll keep me out of mischief. And it would be good for me because I would, you know, it's it's all about improving my teaching skills and it would improve my video editing skills and, you know, all sorts. So I was going to get something out of it. But I thought it would be good because we were still in a lockdown at that point and people were clamouring for things to do. So um, I started this and I thought, oh, well, I'll do every week. It'd be really nice to to hit that YouTube monetization thing. Not because you get any money off YouTube, but <laughs> it's a thousand subscribers and 4000 viewing hours. And I thought, oh, that's a good, good objective to go for. So I did it and I did 52 films last last year and I was very proud of myself. I did hit my my objectives. So I think my channel's got about four and a half thousand subscribers at the moment, which is it's really cool. It's lovely. Just that is quite an achievement because I it's know. a very difficult thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I know there are people out there with a million subscribers and that's brilliant, but it's. And it's not about the actual numbers, but it's the fact that I'm making films in my shed at the bottom of the garden. And there are all these people in, you know, Iceland and Australia and I don't know Israel and wherever watching them. And we're all united by the love of watercolour. And that makes me very, very happy. A five minute YouTube video can take at least half a day to put together by the time you've filmed it and edited it down and uploaded it. I learned so much from doing every film. You know, if I think, oh, I'll do a, you know, a film about I don't know, making your own sketchbook suddenly I'm doing the research and I've learned this and I've learned that and and you can't take that away from me so there there are other perks to it but financially I shall not be retiring anytime soon. Well it's been lovely to share time with you Liz and thank you very much. No well thank you um I've I've enjoyed the conversation and uh, I hope it's been illuminating. It certainly has been. (laughs)